John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The, world, uh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For years, uh, our country, um, you know, really embraced Jesus uh, for a while. I think we might agree that that's not so much the case anymore. Uh, there is a research company called Barna. Has anyone ever heard of Barna Research? No. They're uh, a well-respected, uh, you know, research company where they're always collecting data. And this is one of the things that they have collected over the years. Uh, they say that 48% of Americans identify as post-Christian. 48% of Americans identify as post-Christian. So you might be like, well, you know, like what is post-Christian? Kind of Christian mean, and and so really what that's saying is that there's some type of Christian background for most Americans, but there's either like two things that have kind of happened. One is that connection with Christianity they've they were a part of it and then now reject it, or they uh, it, they know about Christianity they just deny it, like they just kind of don't care. All right, so there's kind of like these two of post Christian just meaning. Yeah, I know about Christianity. I know about Jesus. I know all this stuff. Maybe my parents were, you know, in the church. I try. They try to raise me up in this, but like I'm kind of past that. I'm rejecting it, or just don't care in any way. Uh, faith in Christ has moved from center to the fringe. All right. So again, in America, a lot of Christ was like, "Hey, this is the center of our family. This is the center of our community. You know what we do." It's it's funny. Um, we have some friends in town right now that are staying at our house and uh, they live in Little Rock, Arkansas. And Little Rock, uh, I mean, it's in the Bible Belt. And I mean, literally, they said like, you, everyone pretty much like accepts Christianity there. You know, I'm sure there's not, but for the most part, it's like, you know, everyone is on their best behavior. <laughs> like there's just like some things as like, yeah, you, you know, they go to church, you know, it's just God is kind of, you know, He's just known in that area. But then you can go to like other areas, you know, and I think like Utah, I think Oregon, trying to think there's some other states where, I mean, Albany, New York, I think is one I was told is very, you know, like unchurched, unchristian. And so we have this weird dynamic like in America where you have some that are like, hey, God is the center. And then you have like God's at the fringe, like eh, it's not really that close uh, to your community. Move from being something positive to actually being a threat by some. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that or experienced it. Maybe we hear about it in the media, whatever it is. Um, you know, like evangelical, you know, that that term was meant to mean like that. I'm someone presenting the gospel. I'm, I'm someone that, I'm a messenger to go, you know, share Jesus. I'm an evangelical, but now it's kind of like, it's synonymous with like hate and bigotry. You know, like the people when they hear that, you know, oh, I'm, a, I'm an evangelical, they might feel a little bit like, whoa, okay, you must hate people because X, Y, Z. You hate gays, you hate this, you know, whatever. Anyway, I'm not, but 
That's just what comes across. I don't know. Yeah? You feel it? No? Anyone? Relate? Okay, cool. Speak to me. I need it. <clears throat> the world gets darker. Uh, but I think what's cool about Scripture is that it says that when it gets darker, the light shines brighter. Right? Um, I mean, maybe you've heard of the illustration when, uh, you know, a group of people go out in the middle of the woods at night. That's a bad idea in the first place. But <clears throat> they go and they, like, light a, a match, you know, and you just see that this little match, like, literally like is illuminating like this area that was so dark. Like it's, it's just this illustration that, you know, when it's that dark, people see actually the light sometimes even more clearly in a sense, you know, it's like, there it is. And so our world's getting darker. Um, Jesus didn't tell us to hide from the world. He said to go and make disciples. And uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but we don't run from culture. We are here tonight because we want to influence culture. Right, we're here tonight because we're saying, "Hey, I, I believe that you know God is calling me to do something better for my community." Even though most of our community probably is post-Christian, uh, wants no connection at all. So here's the question that we're really going to dive into tonight. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down: How do we faithfully live for Jesus in a post-Christian culture? How do we faithfully live for Jesus in a post-Christian culture? How do we live a life that if most of the people around us don't want anything to do with Christ or Christianity or church or whatever, you know, you put whatever in your story, um, most people don't want to hear it or be a part of it. Yeah. How do we faithfully live for Jesus in a post-Christian culture? So here's the first thing that, we're, that we'll talk about. We should live with grace and truth. That's what tonight uh, is all about. We should live with grace and truth. John 1, 14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I think what's interesting about this is that, uh, and maybe it's just coincidence, I don't know. I, I actually do believe that when Scripture was written that it was very intentional. Uh, I think there's a reason why grace came before truth. You know, that grace came before truth. And so that's what we're really going to unpack tonight. One of the biggest challenges uh, is for us is that we either lean too far on one or the other. All right. So we have this grace and we have this truth in our life. And we're maybe you're at a place in your walk with Christ right now where you're actually just experiencing that. You know, maybe you're newer in your faith and you're like, man, it was because of God's grace that I even turned to him. I was like, man, it's because of his kindness, like his word says, that I turned to repentance and so you might be just experiencing what grace is like in your life. Or maybe you've, you know, been on this journey for a while and you're like, man, I, I'm still feeling the grace because I mess up or whatever. And then you have the other side where it's like, man, I want to learn truth in my life, you know, but there are things that we are called to live out each day. Um, and so there's this kind of this back and forth of, okay, some people really get on one side and others get on on the other side. So truth, uh, Bible says it, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up. You're like, I don't want to sit at the table with my family because they're just going to be so, you know, truth like, oh, this is, this is how your life's supposed to be. Why aren't you doing this? And, and so it's so far untruth that it's like, there's no grace. Like, dad, I'm trying, you know? Uncle Johnny, like, you, haven't, you don't even know what I'm going through right now. Like, this is, oh, yeah, yeah, but, but the Bible says, 
This is the truth. And then you have grace where it's like, I'm okay. You're okay. God understands. He loves you. You're happy. Do what you want. You know, like the, the grace goes so far that we're like, ah, oh, like it's all good. You know, he, he was up on the cross for it. Like it's all paid for. And so you kind of get in these two extremes of law, law, law. And then the other is like freedom. Just, you know, yeah, Jesus died for you. It's all good. So truth without grace leads to rules and rebellion. Truth without grace leads to rules and rebellion. So rules, if it's just rules, and that's what we call legalism. You've probably heard this. Maybe someone said this to you before, or you've said this to somebody. No movies, no lipstick, no secular music, no dancing, Footloose. <laughs> right? You've seen Footloose. I mean, that whole thing was the Baptist Bible Belt, and it was like dancing is what caused the car accident. And, uh, you know, it just very strict rules, regulations. You have to follow the rules to follow God. I mean, that's kind of where that truth, so much truth is speaking. Rebellion is obviously when we know what's right, but we don't care. I mean, I've been in that season before. I don't know if anyone else would be honest, but like, like I knew what was right and totally didn't care. Uh, you think of a two-year-old, um, you know, most two-year-olds from what I've been told, I don't have one, but, uh, you know, there's a stage, this, they're a great example of learning rebellion because rebellion is very natural for us, right? Like we have this nature of, we want to do our own thing. And so, you know, you can tell a two-year-old, don't touch this, you know, like leave this alone. And then it's like, <laughs> or it's kind of like the video of the cat. Have you ever seen those where it's like, don't do it, don't do it. And then you literally see the cat just go. And then it like falls off on the counter and breaks. I'm like, this is why I have a dog. But, <laughs> but, uh, but seriously, like a two-year-old like is a great example because naturally it's not like you taught them to be rebellious. It's like, how do they just know that like they're, they want their own way, you know? Uh, an example I've heard before was, um, you know, sometimes like they might lie to you and, uh, you're like, do you need to go to the bathroom? And they're like, nope. <laughs> and then suddenly you kind of see like a squint and they're like, nope, I don't. And then, uh, you know, they leave a little surprise and it's like, there's this rebellion of like, I know, but then I'm not telling you. And there's just, so anyways, obviously that's a funny example. But the point is, is that for us, even in our walk or others who maybe are post-Christian is at the end of the day, we have some type of right and wrong and uh, we become rebellious. And so truth without grace leads to rules and rebellion. So either we get so strung out on, I got to do this, 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 and this, or because of all the rules, I'm out. I'm going to do what I want. Quickest way to be rebellious is to have rules without relationship. This is where grace is so important because, you know, Jesus, when he showed grace, is he was building relationships with people. And in that relationship, he can then speak truth. But a lot of times when we find that people are rebellious, it's because there was all these rules, 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 but there was no relationship. When I was an RA at Southeastern and at Liberty, you know, I saw this because these were two uh, institutions that were instilling rules, right? Like, here's a curfew. Uh, guys can't be in girls' room. Girls can't be in guys' room. Like all these different rules. And I'm 
honestly, like there, a lot of the rules, like I agree with for some of those students, like they need that structure. But for the most part, like they were rebellious because they didn't really have one, a relationship with God as much as these were Christian schools. But when I would have to address it with them, it was much harder with the students that I didn't really have a relationship with compared to the relationships I had with some students. And a good example was uh, there was a guy on my hall, my second year at Liberty, and uh, I was up three in the morning. I don't know. I guess this is what I did. You know, you do in college, whatever. I don't, I, I don't even know why I was up, but uh, probably playing Settlers. Yeah. Amazing game. Um, anyways, and I'm like, where's Johnny? And uh, all his buddies kind of like, oh, you know, like trying to like play it off. And I was like, no, no, where's Johnny? And like, uh, I think he went to Walmart. So curfew's midnight at Liberty or whatever. I don't know if they changed it. But so I called Johnny and I'm like, hey, hey, what's up, man? You know, he's like, oh, what's up? You know, and I'm like, yo, dude, guess what? Crazy thing. You're not in your room. <laughs> And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, I went out to Walmart, had to grab some things. I said, okay, cool. Uh, come see me when you're done. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, all right. So he finally gets to my room. I'm laying in bed at this point because, you know, again, it's like probably now 3.30, and I'm like, I should be going to bed. So he comes in. I give him four options. I said, one, or A, I, I write you up. B, I write you up. C, I write you up. And then D, you never do it again. If you do it again, I write you up. And I was like, what do you want? And he said, I'll take D. I said, hey, that's a great answer. Cool. Didn't write him up. I let him go about his business. Oh, Johnny. <clears throat> oh, Johnny. Oh, Johnny. So as you probably know where this is going, I built a relationship with Johnny because uh, there's more than just like that moment, right? Like I actually got to know Johnny throughout the year. Well, again, I find out that he's not in the dorm, and I call him, and when he picks up, the first thing he says is, write me up. He said, write me up, because he knew that I gave him grace. When I could have been the one with authority, I could have said, that's the rule, you should have done this, you shouldn't have done that, but I gave him some grace. But then in that moment when he realized I rebelled against that grace, there's now a consequence for that. And he was willing to humble himself and say, you know what? That grace only was able to go so far. I should pay for the truth, for the law that is in place. Because Johnny knew this, and he still rebelled against it. I did write him up. <laughs> and I, honestly, I felt like I, rightfully so. Because, because that is my job, and I've already given him that space of freedom, and he abused that freedom. Anyways, enough about my RA days. <laughs> I can tell you many, many stories. Huh? I said I too was an RA. Yeah. Yeah, they're great stories. I mean, I've dealt with kids bringing guns on the hall to uh, actually doing a drug search and yeah, some other crazy stuff. So trust me, you don't realize what happens on even Christian campuses. Um, yeah, don't sell drugs because then two guys are gonna come for you. That's the moral of the story. <laughs> Anyways, where was I? All right, let's see here. Um, all right, truth without grace leads to rules and rebellion. Uh, and so, yeah, what I was saying is the, w uh, the quickest way to rebel to someone being rebellious is having rules without relationship. And so Johnny is a great uh, like story here because I wanted to take time having a relationship, and he understood that, that there was more than, oh, he's just this leadership figure 
you know, it was like, hey, this is actually a friend, someone cares. Now on the other side, I've had guys on my hall or in my life where I had to address it and I was just some authority figure. Oh, they hated it. They hated when I, when I caught them doing something, uh, which I never understood because it's like, you know the rules, you know, but you're mad at me because you got caught. That's, let's just be real. You got caught and you're not, yeah, you're not smart. That's why you dropped out. No, okay, enough, enough, George, enough. I'm just playing. I don't know if they dropped out. It was a joke. <laughs> it was a joke. Um, anyways, uh, so there we have truth, a heavy truth. But here, let's talk about grace. Grace without truth, all right? leads to do whatever and believe whatever. So grace without truth leads to do whatever and believe whatever. So when you're so heavy on grace, it's like saying you have a license to do whatever you want. That's what people start to believe. Well, I accepted Christ. I got my ticket out of hell. So I have a license now to do whatever I want. God understands. It's your life. No one has the right to tell you to live. I believe in Jesus, I'll do whatever I want, whatever. A good example of this is kind of like, a, kind of roll with me on this. It's like a flu shot, all right? When you, if you get a flu shot, I know that's a huge debate nowadays on vaccines and whatnot, but let's say you get a flu shot. Apparently, there's supposed to be a small strand of the flu actually in the shot. Like, so your body is, in a way, supposed to kind of become immune to it. And it's, I believe that relationship with Jesus, if it has too much grace without truth, is almost like the flu shot. That we have a little bit of Jesus, right, enough, and then we feel like I'm immune and I can do what I want. And so we operate in this sense of Jesus is my flu shot. You know, Jesus is my immune, like to do whatever I want. So I'm going to go out and party. I'm going to go out, whatever. X, Y, Z, it's different for every single person. But just enough of Jesus to keep you from experiencing, though, the life God really wants for you. I think that's the crazy part. That there's a reason for some things. We were talking about this last night at youth. You know, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Like, Scripture talks about that everything is permissible. I mean, I can go out tonight and do a lot of things. Legally, I could go out and do a lot of things. But it's not beneficial for me. It might not be building me up or building others up, but so many times we get caught up in, let me just have a little bit of Jesus on a Sunday morning. Let me just have a little bit of Jesus on a Monday night. And that's just enough. But then God's saying, you are missing the full experience that I have for you. Because you just want a small strand of me when it's convenient. Believe whatever, the term that we uh, would use is relativism. I don't know if you ever heard of relativism. Uh, Again, it's, as long as I'm happy, all, that's all that matters. As long as I'm sincere, doesn't matter what you believe. As long as I don't hurt anyone, it doesn't matter what you do. It's like, my truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. You know, it's just this idea of uh, we're all good. I had a friend that was always like that because he, he always played the fence with people because he didn't want, he always wanted pretty much just always be friends with people. I mean, that's really what it was. It was like, I don't want to say anything or do anything around them because I don't want to offend them, and then that ruins the friendship. And I, I understand his heart behind that. But ultimately, every time that he knows that someone is doing something wrong or he would never do, he would always say, like, and you know, I, hey, they're just doing them. Like, that was really his response. Let them do them. I'm going to do me, and I'm good. You know, they're not hurting me and whatever, and I'm not hurting them. But 
you know, at the end of the day, they're doing, you know, whatever it is. And I just always saw them like, man, you're on the fence. You're on the fence all the time. I, I heard someone share a story. I think it was a dream that a pastor had, and it's profound. I, I don't know, you know, I don't know how scripturally based I can get on this, but go with me with this picture. He had this dream, and on one side, of there was a fence, and on one side was God, and on the other side was the devil, and then he was sitting on the fence, and the devil comes up and says, like, like, hey, you're mine. He says, no, I'm not yours or I'm God's. Like, he didn't want anything to do with it. And uh, the devil said, no, I own the fence. You know, again, it's a dream. I'm hearing this from someone else who said someone else. But, like, when you really think about that, like, you can say, well, I'm a good person. I want nothing to do with, you know, I'm obviously not working on the devil's team. And, you know, I don't believe in Jesus or religion, so I don't want anything to do with that. So I'm just this person that kind of sits in the middle, just kind of like, ah, I mean, that happens too in politics, right? Like, you almost want to say, I'm in the middle. I don't know. I don't, I'm not with the Republicans. I'm not with the Democrats. It's like, and I'm not saying that you need to choose one side. The point is, is that like, sometimes in our life, we get so scared what people are going to think, what we truly believe, because, you know, oh, it's going to ruin how they think of us or whatever. And we just sit on the fence. And then we actually do nothing to make a difference. Because that fence is just... I mean, where, where are you? I mean, Jesus talked about lukewarm. I mean, that's the fence. <laughs> you know, that's the fence. You're just sitting in this lukewarm position and we're doing nothing. And so grace, you know, without truth leads to us just doing whatever we want and believe whatever we want. But again, we're missing out on the experience that God has for us. Grace is listed before truth, you know, and again, I can't prove that that whatever. I just, I do believe that scripture was written with intention, but this is something that we can even think about here on Monday night. And this is where I think grace, if it's done properly, is so important. Grace for here, let's say a Monday night is a safe place for people to belong before they believe, right? Because the belong is where grace is saying, hey, we love you no matter what you've already done or what you will do. Like, this is home for somebody. You belong here. The other side, the truth is, we want to teach people truth. Hey, I want to teach you what we believe Jesus is saying we need to believe. And so for us, if we really know how to operate with grace and truth, we understand that they don't need to believe what we believe first before they belong, but that we learn as a church to say, this is where you belong. And as Jesus, not me, not anyone in here who's having to fight and argue over what, you know, you need to believe. Jesus is going to do that. The gospel is going to speak. The word of God is going to speak into someone's life. And that belief will change. It's a safe place for people to belong before they behave. Is it okay that Monday night could be a place where someone comes in cussing? Or was just outside smoking some weed? You know, is this a place that people can belong before they are behaving or believing the way we believe. And that's where the church in general, I think we can struggle with truth and grace. It's like, man, Jesus went straight to the sinners. He didn't partake in what they were doing, but he went to them. And in that, he said, you belong in my family. And then there'd be a moment where the belief and the behavior started to change. Again, Church isn't supposed to be a behavior modification school. 
right? It's supposed to be a place where the Holy Spirit is transforming someone's heart and their life is, is just going to, it's going to speak that. It's going to be manifested as Jesus continues to speak truth and grace into their life. But is this a place, a safe place for people to belong before any of that ever happens, before truth is ever even spoken? Our message can't be change your behavior, then you can be one of us. Our message is come follow Jesus and let him lead your life to be full. Post-Christian generation is skeptical about truth. If you claim to know truth, nowadays we almost come across as if we're, what, arrogant or dangerous. I mean, if you think about, like, if I went somewhere else, it's not with most believers, and I said, I know the truth. You know, let me tell you the truth. Like, most people would probably think I'm pretty arrogant. Like, and what's going to change then and people who are this 48% that are post-Christian or non-Christian or whatever, where is that change going to happen if we're really going to speak truth? But not in a way that's like, I know truth, you don't. And you need to hear what I have to say. I think what people really want is they really want us to just be honest. I think that's where vulnerability um, is so key. And I'm not saying vulnerability in the sense that we have to always share our deepest, darkest secrets or the biggest struggles that we have right now. But I believe that, you know, if I really want someone else to be vulnerable, I must first be vulnerable. I must first be willing to be honest with what's going on in my life before someone else is able to say, you know what? I don't like the church. I hate Christians. Cool. You're being honest. Well, let me be honest. You know, let me share. I love you even though you hate me. Right now, we just, I mean, we just talked about the Pittsburgh thing, you know, if you know anything about that. Like, someone hated these Jews so much that they actually wanted to kill them, and they did. That there is so much, so much hatred that it just gets rid of all this grace, all this love where truth could have changed someone's life. And I think people really want us to be honest. And in, if we haven't gotten to that point where we can be honest with other people, and actually listen to them. We talked about that a lot during this series is, are we listening to others and, the, and what they actually believe? Because I guarantee you, people don't want to hear what we have to say because it's just, they've already heard it from their family. They've probably already heard it from some other pastor. But what they want is they want a friend. They want a relationship. They want to know that someone's going to show up and give them grace and in that moment know that they belong instead of, man, I got to follow George's rules. Truth without grace uh, is a very bad mixture. Truth uh, isn't restrictive, repressive, and oppressive. Truth is freeing, liberating, and life-giving. What I mean is, is that, again, when we talk about truth, if it's so far on one side, yeah, it could be restrictive for people. But when we learn to merge, marry, grace, and truth, it actually brings freedom it liberates people and it gives them life. The garden, uh, you know, when God was telling Adam and Eve, you know, don't eat of this tree except this, you know, you can eat anything except this one. It wasn't that he was trying to kill their fun. It was that he was trying to give them life. Like God knew, hey, this is going to bring death. Don't touch that. That was truth. I'm speaking truth. Do not touch this. I'm not trying to get rid of your fun. This is where the enemy came in and was like, God really going to take away all the fun that you want? Is he really going to tell you that you can't have this? 
And so for us, we start to learn that truth, though, sometimes, even though it can be hard to be spoken to someone, should be freeing and life-giving. Truth isn't just rules and morals. Truth is a person. It's not just what, it's who. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus sets free. So again, when we think of truth, I think we get caught up in ideology, especially when we talk about politics, you know, here's my truth. Or in religion, here's the truth. You're not worshiping the right God. You know, this is the right God. At the end of the day, we just need to show them Jesus and Jesus will reveal the truth. Grace without truth, too long. Uh, churches have been uh, boring and outdated. And uh, a lot of times we think that we have to be relevant and cool. That we're like, okay, let's get rid of truth and uh, let's just have this be a free place and just be cool and fun. And, uh, you know, we're blasting some type of music or we're doing like a Christian nightclub or what. I don't know. I'm just making up stuff. But the point is, is that a lot of times in the church, we feel like we then, again, go on so far the grace side. That's like, let's just make Monday night so cool that, man, you guys, you want to come and you're, you're like, man, this kind of blurs with the world a little bit. It's like, and they don't really talk about Jesus. I was like, man, you know. We're not preaching the gospel here. If we're not talking about Jesus, and it's like, what are we doing here? Then we're just another YMCA or other social gathering. You know, it's like, let's just get jackets and like, I don't know, <laughs> Riverdale something, you know, like serpents, right? Does anyone watch that? No, just me. So who is Jesus? It says that the word that became flesh, he was full of grace and truth. What I love about Jesus, he confronted hypocrisy and he confronted and he comforted sinners, truth and grace. He confronted hypocrisy, but he comforted sinners. So the truth would be that he would say to the Pharisees, you are a brood of vipers, you're snakes. He was calling out the hypocrites. Then with grace, though, there was an immoral woman at the well, and he says, hey, I have living water. You'll never thirst again. You, know, you see these two sides of like, whoa, he like called out some people. And then on the other side, he said, hey, I know you're a sinner, but I'm going to give you water that you'll never thirst again. Truth is, uh, his father's house was turned into a business and he goes and he turns over tables. You know, there's some, there was rules in that time and the truth was he went and kind of threw it, <laughs> threw it apart. Grace was he invited the tax collector there, the criminal, to change the world. Truth is he called out uh, duplicity, slammed hypocrisy, and hated uh, pretensions. And grace is he loved the outcast. He touched lepers and he befriended prostitutes. Uh, I think a great story for this is uh, the woman caught in adultery. Uh, I, we've probably talked about this before, but, you know, I mean, when they say caught in adultery, it, it probably was like she was literally caught in the act. I mean, we're like talking about someone, I don't know. We don't know like the background of it, who she was sleeping with. Uh, it's always interesting that we never talk about the man that was a part of the situation uh, or whoever the other person was. But, you know, this woman is caught in the middle of it, which, again, it's kind of weird that maybe some other men were peeking it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying there's something else there that's kind of like a little off. But, <clears throat> you know, uh, they pull her out uh, to, the, to the streets and they bring her in front of Jesus and you have this moment of 
them obviously condemning. And and I, I, it was kind of cool that these lines are already up here, but you know, there's this moment where they obviously draw this line, and you, you've probably heard this story a hundred times, but there's this moment where they believe that they were pretty much uh, giving Jesus this this line of, hey, you, you either you can't cross this line, right? Like that's what that law kind of feels like. It's like don't cross the line. If you cross the line, you're going to get hurt. And so this woman, uh, you know, in this moment, and we see that Jesus ends up writing something. And again, we don't know what it what he says. Some believe that he was writing out uh, these Pharisees' sins. And the reason for that is it, I, I believe that it says that this, uh, the older ones were leaving first. As in, you know, these men have lived longer, and so they probably knew their sins a lot better than the younger. And, uh, and so, again, that's all theory. I don't know for sure, but it says that he wrote something in the sand. And these men start walking away. They drop the stones. And then he goes to the woman, you know, and he says to her, like, where are your condemners? And she's like, they're not here. And he said, yeah, neither, neither am I. But this is where the grace and the truth happens. All right? The, the truth was, or the grace was, that he got down on his knees and said, I'm here for you. I got rid of these, these men who are here to condemn you. The grace, though, is that I say, go and sin no more. Right? There is truth and grace in this moment of, I'm here for you, and the truth is, you are sinning. But I'm telling you, go and sin no more. And this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus crosses the line. Yeah. Like, in your life, there is a line in your life Someone has said something, there's been some place that you've been that has just drawn this line, or maybe you've drawn a line in your life, and you're like, man, I can't get to the other side because X, Y, Z, you know, God's going to hate me, or these people are going to think this way, and Jesus crosses the line for us, and he says, hey, I'm not here to condemn you, you shouldn't be condemning you, but I am telling you, as you leave, go and sin no more. And you have this beautiful mixture of grace and truth. That in, in our lives, if we can learn to operate in that sweet spot, I believe that Jesus is going to really show us the fullness that he has for us. That we can start crossing the lines. Not crossing the lines, right, to break rules, but crossing the lines of maybe something that has been holding you back in your life. And you're able to help people cross the line too. That there, there are so many people right now that are hiding behind their line, waiting for the stones to hit them. And grace and truth is this beautiful marriage that Jesus shows us. Yeah, I'm sitting with sinners. I'm having dinner with them. And the Pharisees are like, what? How could he do that? We can't do it. They're sinners. He's unclean now. Jesus says, man, I, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. It's this marriage of grace and truth. What does that really look like in your life that you can say, man, I okay, yeah, there, there are some things that God has called me to a higher standard. But on the other side, I know that I can operate in a freedom knowing that, you know what, I, I, I don't give my best every day. It's the truth. That's my honesty. I don't give my best every day. But I know Jesus right there getting down on his knees saying, hey, I love you, son. I, I didn't pick up a stone. I picked up the cross. So, so how, how are you going to act now? And those are the moments where we start to really learn to have life transformation. God, speak your truth. Show me your grace so I can go out and do the same. Every time religion drew a line, 
Like you can't know God if, right? You go, you have to go to church every Sunday. You got to read your Bible every, every morning. You got to pray at this hour. You know, it's Jesus crossed the line. And this is what is on the other side of the line. People. People are on, on the other side of the line. And so I know that this whole series is supposed to be about, like we're kind of talking about politics a little bit and all that that's going on. Again, in a, in, in a country that we live in right now, where we are so divided because of politics, because of politics, because of a government, like man-instituted government, we won't even cross the line for a Democrat. We won't cross the line for a Republican because we see them so much as an enemy, probably more than we see Satan. I'm being real. We probably say more stronger words and have stronger opinions for our fellow brothers who believe something different about our government than we probably even do about Satan himself. Jesus crossed the line for people and we are called to cross the line for people. We don't draw lines to keep people out. The cross, we cross lines to bring people in. Grace is scandalous. You know, we talk about reckless love, that song and, and all that. And I'll just say this before we close and we'll get into groups. I know I'm going much longer than normal. Um, sorry about that, unless you guys are good. I don't know. You good? Okay, cool. I had to look at Cody. He's my guy to let me know if I'm good. <clears throat> you know, we sing reckless love and um, it, it talks about the 99 and uh, leaving 99 for the one. And uh, about six months ago, I really was reflecting on like, what does that look like in our life? You know, when we really talk about reckless love and, and grace and truth and that it's, it's so scandalous in a way that like, man, I want to give people grace. You know, I want to speak truth in their life because I want to build them up and not tear them down. Right. Cause there's a difference there, right? I can speak truth in someone's life and it totally tears them down. Again, what I said maybe was truthful, but my heart in it was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you down a notch. But if we can use truth and grace to build people up, and what I mean by this reckless love, this 99 leaving the one, the purpose of that is not so you leave 99 behind, right? That's, that's not God's intention. Like, well, I'm going to forget about the 99. I got them, right? Like, they're in the church. They're good. Like, no, it's like I'm there for them just as much as I am for this one. But what's cool about going after the one is that it's not so you just give that full attention, just stay out of the, where the 99 are. It's you bring the one back. You have to cross the line to say, hey, like, I love you. Let me give you grace. Let's speak truth. Let's talk about these issues that we have. Let me bring you back to the Savior because he's doing the work in me right now too. Because I think it'd be a different story if I went to somebody and said, hey, I got it all together, you know, and Jesus sent me as an ambassador and I'm like, I know it all. It's me going to someone and saying, man, I'm on this journey too. And uh, this is where I'm finding my freedom. This is where I'm finding healing. This is where I'm finding my grace, my truth. I just want you to come with me. Come with me because God has something so much better for us over here than over there.